This is a stand-down order issued by the International Common Law Court of Justice and the Common Law Court of Canada Criminal Trial Division. The stand-down order is issued this day, June 1, 2017, against the fiduciary officers, agents, and clergy of the following corporations, the Roman Catholic Church, the United Church of Canada, and the Anglican Church of Canada. You are hereby ordered to stand down and refrain from engaging in the collection of any monies for your corporation or from administering funds or properties of your corporation on the following grounds. 1. You represent convicted criminal bodies that have been found guilty under international law of genocide, child trafficking, and other crimes against humanity, and therefore have no legal right to operate or gather revenue. 2. You are defrauding Canada and its taxpayers by misrepresenting your corporations as lawful and charitable Christian societies, and thereby you are falsely claiming tax-exempt status under the Income Tax Act. And three, you and your corporations have been ordered to cease and desist from your operations and to vacate your illegal occupation of Indigenous lands across Canada by duly registered court orders. If you fail to abide by this order, you can and will be arrested, charged, and tried in our common law courts as an accessory to a crime. Issued June 1, 2017, by the Common Law Court of Canada. And welcome to Radio Free Canada. I'm your host, Kevin Annett, back again. August 6th, Hiroshima Day. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That stand-on order has been in effect, of course, for several years, and it is being enacted. We are not only taking down the church in a legal, man-made way, but also spiritually. There's an important announcement that came out of Edinburgh today, which you can see at itccs.org. We're going to talk about that. Hiroshima, very interesting fact that when the atom bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, it was first tested at a place called the Trinity Test Site, and it was delivered to an island, the island of Tinian, which was codenamed Papacy. We don't believe those are accidents. The nature of the Vatican and the Papacy is satanic. We have proven that in many ways, and we're going to be talking about that today uh, in this brief announcement, and then followed by a, an important interview with Sandra Fecht, who is a counselor in Canada who has documented satanic ritual crimes and their source. Uh, so we're going to get to that in a minute. But first of all, as mentioned, if you go to itccs.org, our regular site of the tribunal, you'll see an announcement that came out of Edinburgh and Boston today. I'll read that briefly. A new covenant calls Christians out from criminal churches, proclaims spiritual and political separation from the global corporatocracy. A breaking news release. At special ceremonies today in Scotland and America, a new movement known as the Covenanters released a spiritual battle cry that summons all people to leave the Church of Rome and other criminal churches and gather in separate spiritual and civil communities. Entitled, Here We Stand, Summoning God's People in a Time of Judgment, the founding declaration of the Covenanters was issued on the eve of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation's birth, quote, to halt the spiritual absorption of free Christians into the demonic Church of Rome, unquote. Here we stand was read aloud at the historic sites where Scottish Covenanters and American Puritans declared a similar independence from Rome and the world during the 17th century. According to Covenanter convener John Burke, who read the declaration outside the Greyfriars Kirk in Edinburgh, Scotland, where the 1638 Covenant was signed, quote, We are the spiritual and lineal descendants of the Puritans who forged the American Republic and the Scottish Covenanters who broke free from papal and Episcopal tyranny. We recognize that today, not only our faith, but the, spiritual, the survival and freedom 
of all people face extinction at the hands of a global antichrist corporate culture spawned from Rome. We reject the genocidal one-worldism of that culture. We will obey God rather than the murderous laws of such man-made tyranny by establishing our own covenant and society of freeborn men and women under God's own common law. Unquote. Similar ceremonies were held today by other groups of covenanters in Boston and at sites in Ireland, Canada, and England. The covenanters will be launching public actions, reclamations, and witnessing commencing in September. Now, you can find a copy of Here We Stand at itccs.org at the top of this posting today, but it will also be issued in hard copy versions this coming week through Amazon.com. For more information, you can write to Congregational Covenant, that's one word, congregationalcovenant at gmail.com, citccs.org, and listen, of course, to our Radio Free Canada broadcast. This was issued by the Covenant of Free Congregational Christians, or the Covenanters. Now, this is a very important step because we've been struggling for many years in a campaign to expose the worldly crimes and nature of these criminal genocidal churches, almost as in three steps of an exorcism, where first you expose the entity, then you expel it, and then you replace it. Well, the, exp the exposing has gone on for many years. We've documented the crimes. The expulsion started in 2013 when we convicted the Vatican, Crown of England, and other bodies, criminal bodies of these crimes, forced the resignation of top leaders, and publicly banned them from our territories. The third stage, the third and final exorcism, is the replacement of that spirit, and that's really what's behind the covenant. And, uh, you know, it's often said that, and one of the quotes I like the best, actually, is from John Brown, the anti-slavery leader, in, who in America in 1859 actually took up arms, didn't just talk about ending slavery, took up arms to end it. And he had a saying that said, whoever wants freedom without the cost required for it is an idle dreamer who actually stands in the way of freedom. And we put that out there today, reminding people that this step is the, the next essential one, that is the, the spiritual as well as physical separation from the demonic world order that was started in Rome and has spread all over the planet. We see manifestations of that global corporatocracy everywhere, all of us are fighting many separate battles against aspects of it, but now is the time to stand on a common spiritual ground and unite against it. Separate not just as spiritual communities, but as civic communities under the common law with our own constitutions. That affects everything we do. It means we don't go to the system anymore, people. We don't go and to the representatives of that system and stand under the law. We're under the natural law, God's common law. So... This, uh, today we're going to, I thought it was important that we listen again to Sandra Freck's own analysis of how that satanic spirit can affect individuals and how we can expel it at an individual level. But as we talk about as well, we're involved in a collective exorcism now, stepping back from its corporate body. Next week, August 13th on Radio Free Canada, we will be talking to those involved in formulating this covenant. We'll be talking about spiritual warfare during August and how it especially leading up to October 31st, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, how we are putting it into practice in the world, in the spirit, in the common law. So thank you for tuning in today. We're going to go now to that interview with Sandra Fecht and follow our work, itccs.org, murderbydecree.com, write to us, republicofkanata at gmail.com, and again, write to the covenant uh, community uh, at congregationalcovenant at gmail.com. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Stay strong and stay clear. We'll be back next week.
stay rabbi Sold I to the merchant ships Minutes after they took I Welcome to Radio Free Canada. I'm your host, Kevin Annett Eagle, strong voice back here again, as usual, live on BBS Radio Network here every Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Did I make the mistake? 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, it's a joy and honor to be with you all. It was an honor for me this last week to be on the road and to visit people reclaiming the nation all over our continent of Turtle Island. And one thing that struck me when I saw the incredible courage these people were exhibiting in the face of violence, the biggest obstacle is our minds and our preconditioned assumptions about the society we're living under. And so one of the things we realize is as we battle on together, part of the focus has to be on first reclaiming our minds. And that's going to be the topic of today's show and next week's, because we have with us Sandra Fecht, who's a counselor, who specializes in dealing with people who've suffered satanic ritual abuse or cult ritual torture, whatever you want to call it, using methods that can be applied to any of us who are facing this kind of mind control that's present at every level of society. So it's it's uh, going to be a focus over the next couple of weeks. And as I mentioned last time, we're going to have at the last show, show in November uh, the beginning of a workshop on the common law and uh, how we can apply these it, the common law to these different issues we're battling on. You can follow our work at itccs.org, murderbydecree.com. And once again, thank you, folks, for um, the constantly increasing sales of our book, Murder by Decree, The Crime of Genocide in Canada. You can see it uh, at amazon.com. You can order it there, along with our Truth Teller Shield, a manual for whistleblowers, which is also seems to be a popular item. So keep getting those books in circulation. Thank you, people. Also, um, an announcement of actions coming up next Sunday by our different Republic of Kanata groups. And, of course, there'll be groups in other countries engaged that day. It's the International Day of the Child. So we figured, hmm, well, why not confront these child-killing and trafficking churches that have gotten off the hook by issuing a bit of apology and money to some of their victims? It doesn't change their liability. All the apology in the world does not change legal liability and moral culpability for these things. And so here's some announcements for you folks. In Toronto and Ottawa, there will be official protests. And here's the details. If you're in either of those cities, please come down and join us. In Ottawa, this is next Sunday, uh, November 20th, 9 a.m. meet in Minto Park, which is at the corner of um, Elgin and Lewis. And from there, there'll be a march down to the three churches, the Anglican, the United, and the Roman Catholic churches that killed over 60,000 Native children in their so-called Indian residential schools. In Toronto, on the same day, 9 a.m., rally at St. Paul's Anglican Church. That's 227 Bloor Street East. And from there, we'll be going down to hit the some of my favorite churches. I've picketed there many times, including Metropolitan United Church down on Queen Street, where I used to work out of the mission down there. Uh, so please join us for those official actions. You can get more information. Just write us at republicofkanata at gmail.com. And um, there will be unofficial actions, which I can't talk about on the air, and they'll be occurring in Vancouver and Winnipeg and various other places. And the, the purpose of this is not mere protest. It's to also issue and um, reclamation orders to the people going to those churches saying, look, if you put money in the collection plates, you're funding criminally convicted bodies, and you can be criminally prosecuted. 
Also, there's standing arrest warrants against the leaders of these churches, and their property is forfeited under the law. You kill children, you're convicted in a bona fide common law court, which is what happened, and you don't have the right to your own property or assets anymore. So those properties, the United Catholic and Anglican churches, are now open territory. Anybody can go in and use them, and in fact, the money in the collection plate is being used for criminal purposes, so it's actually forfeited. So there's a lot of fun things we can do applying the common law, and we're going to do more than talk about it. We're putting it into practice. So please join us, especially in Ottawa and Toronto at those places. Write to us, republicofcanata at gmail.com. Now we've got a minute or two left before Sandra's on with us. I want to also remind you folks that we appreciate your feedback. We've been getting more of it. Our listeners uh, have been increasing all the time. And we're getting syndicated on other uh, radio networks. In fact, people are picking us up now all over the world. We're getting new listeners in Russia and Asia and Australia. And they've constantly given us ideas about what to do. So we want to hear from you, republicofkanata at gmail.com. This is a program not simply to to, uh, educate, but to organize and to activate people to reclaim our minds and our world under a new jurisdiction, the common law republic. And just to, you know, uh, in closing on this, um, I can't help but mention the United States elections. I mean, what better topic to talk about when we're discussing mind control than an, an election? Um, two things, you know, people are going to debate this ad infinitum, and I won't add to the baffle gab on this, except to say there's two things I found very interesting. The one person, according to the polls in the United States, who could have beaten Donald Trump Uh, and that was Bernie Sanders, was forced out by the Democrats themselves. They made sure he didn't get the nomination. Very interesting. They, you know, they put Hillary Clinton in knowing that she would be defeated by by, uh, Trump, according to all the polls. Why would the Democrats do that? Second point, Donald Trump is the first one ever elected in in the history of the United States, the first person ever elected to the presidential office who had no background in public or political work. No public service, no political background at all. He's the CEO of a corporation. It's almost like America is now acknowledging that they are not a government. They are not a republic. They do not have a constitution. They are a corporatocracy. They're a big corporation now run officially by a CEO. And um, you don't have to look any further than the Department of Homeland Security for proof of this, because over half of the DHS employees are not even employed by the government, but by General Dynamics. They're a private company checking your passports at the border. So I think we have to keep that all in mind. And why is it that people keep granting their authority over to these parental figures who then screw them? That's going to be one of the questions I'm going to ask uh, Sandra Feck today. And as a matter of fact, she's now on the line. Um, We're going to bring Sandra on now. And uh, without further ado, hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm terrific. And thank you for this opportunity, Kevin. And thank you for your show. Oh, you're you're most welcome. And, uh, you know, it's I, I love telling people these days about you because you're you're do, doing now the kind of um, pioneering work that's so essential, you know, not just for the victims, but a lot of the stuff that you're uncovering can be applied to to really any of us and, and the kind of increasingly crazy society we find ourselves in. So I just want to um, ask you, first of all, to tell us a bit about how you got into this whole field. I mean, you know, it, it is a, um, you know, it's kind of like when people ask me, how did you take on this enormous horrifying job of looking at these crimes. What is it that brought you into this this field personally? Well, I mean, when you put it that way, (laughs) if I had known how big this picture was, it would have been so intimidating, I probably would never have started. But you see what you're capable of dealing with. And uh, what brought me into this field generally is that I had two parents who were veterans from World War II. And 
they and all their friends had that famous thousand-yard stare of the traumatized, you know, those in PTSD who just sit with that soul, those soulless eyes and stare into space. And, you know, I've heard it said that war is internationally sanctioned ritual abuse, and I do believe it's it. I mean, they get to traumatize people by the millions, you know, one way or another. And I just wanted to make people happy because I saw so much unhappiness as a child. And at 18, I had a breakdown, which was kind of the icing on the cake for me, and uh realized I I had to know how to make myself happy and then teach others how to be happy. So I have been working at that since I was 18, which is some 50-odd years, you know, 50 years ago or so. Uh, Yeah, my math isn't that great. It's over 50 years. So when I was, uh, you know, I was trying to just be a good counselor, therapist. In those days, I was able to call myself a therapist. Now the laws are changing in Ontario, and until I'm grandfathered in, I have to call myself a counselor. So if I go back and forth on that, forgive me. And back in the... I had worked up north with the indigenous people, as you had, uh, Kevin, and they told me back in the 70s the stories of what went on in the residential school. But it was way too large a picture for me to be able to process... And I was like, uh-huh, and it went right over my head. And I worked in a training school for girls in uh, oh, the mid-'70s, and some of those girls have been prostituting since they were nine years old, and we never once thought to hold anyone accountable but them. We blamed the victim. Mm-hmm. And it didn't occur to us, like, who teaches them about sexuality, who finds the clients, who deals with the money, you know, or why on earth would any nine-year-old girl want to start prostitution? So we just didn't consider those things. Sexual abuse was not on our radar. In the early 80s, I worked at a mental health center in Aurelia, Ontario, and we were given the opportunity to study with Cindy Blazewski, a sexual abuse treatment expert from the States, because the Children's Aid Society was realizing they have children who had been sexually abused and they needed treatment and no one knew how to do it. So five of us from my county volunteered. And, um, you know, I was the only one who lived and worked in the north end of the county to learn about sexual abuse. And when I learned about it and brought it back to the hospital where I was working and said, you know, excuse me, I think a lot of our clients have been sexually abused, I may as well have uh, just you know, done some huge damage to my own reputation because no one believed it. They all thought that I just had a bad mind. So I set out on my own to find treatment methods that I thought would work, and in doing so, stumbled across this satanic ritual abuse stuff, or SRA. And I thought I was going crazy, and I thought they were crazy, and I, the clients, and I sent them back to their doctors for help. One day... You know, after doing this for years, I kind of realized this is the truth. Excuse me, that they are speaking truthfully. And then I I started to get uh, threats about what would happen to me if I continued to walk down that road. And I remember saying to them, well, I'm not backing down, you know, these threats that came through on the phone. I'm not backing down, so I guess it's plan B. And... I reported that and other incidents to the police, and my police reports all went missing. And 
at that point, I really knew this was a reality. Could I just so ask I you something? I started listening to my clients. Sorry to interrupt, but um, now this was in Aurelia that happened, Aurelia, Ontario? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you're saying that... Yeah, and I don't that... want to um, point a finger at Aurelia with the implication that it's the only place this happens, because I no. don't believe that for a second. For I sure. think that this happens everywhere. But I, just to clarify, you, you had uncovered evidence of satanic ritual crimes, and you had then been threatened, or was it more serious than just phone threats? What they told me was, uh, you better back off or else. And I said, I'm not backing off, so I guess it's plan B. And then I had my building spray-painted with satanic symbols. And they did target a client, and that was not nice. And you, you know, reported they, it to the police, and suddenly the reports weren't, weren't there? Is that it? Yeah. I reported it to the police. And it was a police officer who told me my reports were disappearing. Uh-huh. So you think there's police involvement in this cult or whatever? I think that every level of society is involved in these kinds of crimes. Yes, I do. I think there are judges, doctors, lawyers, fire chiefs. You name it. You know, I think there's every level of society everywhere that are involved in these crimes. And there are those in the know who know this is going on, and some of them have secret handshakes or secret signals. And, you know, they signal each other in various ways. They signal us through the movies. And, like, you know, there's some mindset that I've heard. There's some mindset in them that says, well, we told you. And now if we told you and you don't do anything about it, the karma's on you. So, you know, I know that some movies tell us what is going to happen. Right. So... Now, did you, are you at liberty to say anything of what this person shared with you about what were these things that had happened to them or any of these... What um, is it when we're talking about satanic ritual abuse? I would rather not because it might be too identifiable. Can you so talk generally about what, let's say non-relation to this person, but what you've learned over the years, what these crimes involve? Okay. Generally, over the years, what I have learned is, uh, first of all, there are ways of threatening a child so that they don't talk. You know, things like threatening to or killing pets or family members. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having, like, uh, getting the child into the cult with, um, you know, saying, you make a choice. It's, you're going to go off on the table where the tortures usually happen, or the three-year-old is going to go on the table. And any, like, most five-year-olds are really decent, and they say, well, I'll go on the table thinking they're going to be hurt, and the three-year-old is safe, and then the cult member will say, no, no, you made the wrong choice. Now the three-year-old has to die in a horrible way, and if you ever tell anybody, we're going to say, you did this. This was your choice. And is so the, the child, child then killed? Goes, the, the other child is then killed in front of that, that child? Yes, and in the case I'm thinking of, it was one of the most brutal deaths I have ever heard of. And uh, I think I've only mentioned that once, but it was just hor- it was horrific. And I will give uh, an alert to anybody listening, if you have small children in the room, that they should not hear what is about to be said. You know, I struggle always with how much to say and how much to hold back because some of it is so graphic and horrible. And I'm struggling between protecting people and uh, letting people know what's going on out there. 
But some of the things they do, um, you know, they are trained in torture. And if you read books uh, about MKUltra and Operation Paperclip, you know that the Nazi torturers were brought over to the United States, given new identities and fat paychecks in order to teach the CIA how to torture slowly. Um, and this crime was perpetrated on two million Americans. You know, they tested out their skills on two million Americans. And this is what happens in these cults. Yeah. And depending on the type of cult, they might do disgusting things like urinating on people, defecating on people, pouring blood, drinking blood, eating body parts, um, killing, torturing slowly, and so on. And there are local, regional, national, and international contests in this kind of thing. You know, contests. who can extend the torture the longest so the person dies in great pain. And they need the pain in order to dissociate the person so that they can take their energy and their souls. And believe me, folks, that may sound far-fetched, but it isn't. And we have been deliberately sold a bill of goods and been taught to look away from the energetic spiritual part of life so that um, we only pay attention to the physical. But the power is literally in the power, and that's your energy field. And further reasons for this slow torture are to create such fear that the blood is adrenalized. For some reason, they need adrenalized blood. And it gets into a very weird explanation. How weird do you want me to get, Kevin? Well, tell your truth, Sandra. That's why the show is here. Uh, what I've heard from many, many people is they need the adrenalized blood in order to maintain human shape if they have been the result, if the being has been the result of hybridization or crossbreeding with reptilian entities. There's silence, Kevin. No, I'm letting people reflect on that. Okay. Now, I want to, the whole energetic aspect of this, mm -hmm. um, I want to get into because it's so important, because uh, I've encountered it myself. You know, um, so I support what you're saying, but mm -hmm. I want to kind of lead up that to a bit. Uh, when you were describing the contest between the different cultic groups, mm -hmm. does that mean these, these torture sessions and murder sessions are filmed? Uh, I've had some cases where they were filmed and clients who were very reactive and uncomfortable with cameras and filming because of that. Um, I'm sure some of them are filmed. Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, I've never seen one, but you have something called snuff flicks right. and um, where they put it on film and sell it, I guess. It's a big industry in Canada, especially in the West Coast. Um, they sell mm -hmm. for $100,000 and more on the black market. We know there's there's RCMP, underworld involvement. It's one mm -hmm. of the reasons women and children go missing all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, that we could do a whole show on the snuff industry. But often, you know, these because it's lucrative, the cult is tied into these other networks as well. And this is mm -hmm. big money involved as well. I think that's one of the reasons they can be protected so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. The energetic aspect, if I can get back to that, Kevin, Please. are you okay yeah. with that? No, no, that's fine. I just want to make that point for other listeners who I know from Europe have had the same experience, and I wanted to just, you know, flag that for people. But go ahead. Um, I had an insight, you know, sometimes spirit speaks to you, and I had an insight one day that the burning of the library in Alexandra was deliberate because it contained esoteric information. 
And it has been the uh, behavior of those at the top to steal the esoteric information and keep it from the rest of us so that they could control us. And so when the library burned, I had this insight that they must have taken the really important scrolls out of there, kept them somewhere, and burned it so the rest of us couldn't know. And I checked that with a few other people who might have been in the know. And they said, yeah, they thought that too. Then we had the witch burnings in Europe during mm -hmm. the Inquisition. And, you know, the book Witch Craze, which I would urge everyone to read, uh, reports that between three and nine million women mostly women, not entirely, were killed because they knew about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Then we had the imperialistic surge around the world, uh, you know, starting out from Europe, where anywhere in the world that the Europeans went, they killed shamans, destroyed the information of working with energy, and took back a copy to the Vatican. Right. You know, I even think of Sundance, which uh, my husband and others have participated in. And it was a, it's a very strong, sacred ceremony. I've had some amazing spiritual experiences at Sundance. And that ceremony was outlawed to the point where if anybody participated in it, they were shot on sight. If you had mm -hmm. the scars, you were shot or incarcerated. And the law against it was only repealed by Jimmy Carter in 1977. You know, when we you had think that we've outlawed yeah. spiritual behavior on the part of our indigenous peoples, and they knew how to work with energy and spirit, and we have been so misled about this. You, well, know, you know, I, I often liken it to somebody not knowing how to operate the uh, fuse box or the power, you know, the breakers in their home. Right. What would happen to their home if they didn't know how to operate that? Well, I know it's, it's like, why did the Romans slaughter the Druids? The first thing they did when they invaded England is they went to mm -hmm. um, Angsi and just destroyed all the Druids they could find. It was the same thing, um, mm -hmm. you know. But now I want to relate what you're talking about to your practice. Is this something that um, when you're dealing with clients, are they aware of these energetic things? Are they aware that really we're talking about a form of energy vampirism? And um, um, it, Well, not initially. Yeah. Uh, what I do with clients, and I hope this answers your question, is I teach them to become energetically aware and how to deal with their own energy fields as much as I know. And we get into the fact that, you know, people are stealing our energy, are redirecting it, are playing, like, you know, the high-tech groups who are into this stuff are beaming frequencies at us and uh, doing things to control our behavior through frequency and invisible energetic methods. And we have to can become you, exquisitely can, aware of our own energy field. Can you give an example of that? How to, how like, to protect us. Sorry. How do they do that? Yeah, how do they do that exactly? Can you give an example? You know what? I don't know. I'm not a physicist. But I keep having people refer me to things like the Higgs particle, the Higgs particle or something, H-I-G-G-S, which I don't understand enough math and physics to really uh, get into. I know that the ancient groups that are doing this stuff will torture you enough to um, and drug you right. and use seeds and other things to get control of your energetic field. If you're tortured enough, you dissociate. And that's and your whole are, point, that this is the point right? behind whether it's residential school crimes, satanic ritual crimes, 
the torture is compulsory because that way the personality dissociates and their energy can be grabbed. In exactly. A and the gift can be, by somebody who's skilled in this, yep. the gift can be directed to somebody else. You know? So you mean transferred into another person? Yes. And I've had cases reported to me where uh, someone's soul was taken out of their body and somebody else's soul or a lower energy level that what we would call um, demonic was put in. You know, I've had people tell me that their chakras or find out, not even tell me, we've discovered that their chakras were being spun and um, ja uh, like exchanged every day. So ch chakras would be confused and mixed up. So one client I'm thinking of in particular uh, he never knew he was going to be who he was going to be when he woke up in the morning because they played with his energy so much. Yeah, you know, it was really so how crazy you, for him. So we stabilized. How do you help people then who are in the situation? Um, how do people recover their energy? A lot of prayer, let me tell you. Um, well, firstly, uh, you know, I like to say I'm a Christian, and I am a Christian. But I also do a lot of uh, shamanic work and energy work because it's all the same stuff. And as I said, I teach them to recognize they have an energetic system and do a lot of muscle testing and uh, show them that when you think a happy thought, your muscles are strong, and when you think a miserable thought, your muscles are weak. And this is how to cleanse and strengthen and balance your entire energetic system. So I make sure before we do any work that we, like any deep work, that they're in control of themselves energetically as much as we can be. And we go on from there. That must be very difficult for someone who, as a child, was so violated and tortured. Um, you know, my experience is that at a certain age, when it happens, that their, their own energy and minds are almost unrecoverable. Do you, well, I mean, if what it happens they... before a certain age, yeah. it's harder, you yeah. know, to deal with it. That's for darn sure. Mm -hmm. But it's still not impossible. I mean, it may take a lot of effort and a lot of work, but it's not impossible. I, I believe all things are possible. And, of course, people's character is different. You know, what crushes one person won't another. Mm -hmm. And, and I have, a, like, we've been, as I said, led away from this energetic stuff. And what you have to realize is, is if all of life is frequency, which I do believe it is, there are lower energies out of our visible, you know, out of our spectrum, out of our five-sense perception, and there are higher energies. And if you call on those higher energies, you know, they help you. And I've actually seen that. And the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So believe me, I'm constantly asking. And I, I get my clients to ask, like develop a spiritual north star, something you can believe in, something that will help you. Because it's Is there anyone else in Canada who's doing your, your kind of work? I know Alison Miller in Victoria has really done a beautiful job in her two books. Uh, one of them is called Healing the Unimaginable, and the other one is called Becoming Yourself. But um, she, she deals with it on a physical level, but at least publicly she does not uh, acknowledge the spiritual reality of it. And I personally think that's where the meat and potatoes are. So in other, what would her, she would give kind of a traditional psychological explanation for these things? or 
Yes, but she has really done a great job documenting the physical facts of what happens around SRA. I'd recommend her books. Now, are any other counselors across Canada talking about satanic ritual crimes or, you know? (laughs) I sincerely hope so. And what I would urge. Pardon? Is that a forbidden topic? Um, I do know of counselors who are aware of it but won't deal with it because of the ridicule, the shunning, the isolation, and so on that you get from your colleagues, or in some cases they're worried about losing their job. Um, What I'm hoping is that your listeners, if they have a therapist, will start to speak boldly about this because we need to train therapists. We need to wake therapists up to the fact this is really happening out there. My estimates are one in three has been affected by this. I've been told those estimates are too low. One in three people? Yep. And we need to wake therapists up, teach them the skills they need to deal with this. We are taking people who report this stuff, and they're reporting it, believe me. They're being drugged, which puts more money into the hands of one of the big six, you know, into the pharmaceutical companies. Um, and we're incarcerating them in institutions, either jails or mental hospitals, when all they need is to be listened to and heard and believed and understood and helped. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if all of our therapists, all of our counselors, massage therapists, energy workers, knew what was going on and what they were really looking at, we could revolutionize this. And it would revolutionize the society because we'd see what was happening. Have you had experience of trying to share this with other counselors? What is their attitude when you start talking about these things? (laughs) I remember one person who was in a very responsible position at CAMH. And I said to her, you know, do you deal with sexual abuse at CAMH? Because for the longest time they didn't. What's CAMH? Oh, yes, we do. And I said... (laughs) you deal with ritual abuse or satanic abuse without a word of a lie like we were at a party she inched away from me sideways and didn't say a word she just kept inching away inching away inching away until she was 180 degrees away from me in the room and i'd say that's a pretty usual reaction people don't want to hear it they don't believe it it's paradigm shifting it takes a lot of work to sift all this through but at some point we've got to wake up or they know about it, and they know it's stepping on big toes and, no, and are afraid. I think that probably accounts for most of it. Or it triggers them because they've been affected this way. Right. What's CAN-H? You said CAN-H? CAN-H. It's the Canadian oh, Association for Mental Health. It's in Toronto. All right. Okay. Are they kind of the umbrella body for yeah, counselors? People are afraid, yeah. and you know, and they're so controlled. Our society engenders so much fear and so much control that it's like saying to a fish, "What do you think of the water?" And the fish says, "What's water?" You know, we have no clue how controlled we are. We have no clue how afraid we are, how much fear we live in, and it's all manipulated. Now, what's the first? You know, for someone listening out here, maybe for the first time hearing these things. What is something you could point to in the more so-called mainstream that are ways that this control is exerted? Is it done, you know, through the internet? Through uh, do you, have you done any kind of work on that? 
Definitely. If you, like, the whole point is to make us nice little robots, okay? And so let's take a look at a couple of the systems. The food delivery system, the food growing and delivery system, 90% of our food is devitalized. It's dead. It has no energy. Right. And these are the foods, like, you don't hear an advertisement for, hey, eat this apple. It's good for you, you know. No, it's like, eat this apple mush slop, and uh, we'll make money, and you'll get sick. And, by the way, we add sugar because we really support the sugar monopoly, which we all know makes us sicker than dogs. Anyway, so there's the food system. Look at the entertainment and music industry. Um, Mark Devlin, I think his name is, wrote a book about Satanism in the music industry. That's right. And I'm sure you've heard of the 432 hertz and the 440 hertz, Kevin. Tell us about it. 432 hertz is called Verdi's A. It brings uh, clarity to the mind, calm to the feelings, um, health to the body, energy, and harmony between people. It's also in line with the frequencies of the planets, right. and it is mathematically compatible with something called Planck's constant, yeah. which is the level of consciousness at which we can communicate with all beings. Isn't that amazing? That's so basic that's knowledge. music, and you know, yeah. that's good music. When you tune at 440 hertz, which there's just this slight little tone of a difference, it is not compatible with the universal frequencies. It it misses Planck's constant, which means that it limits your consciousness, and it brings uh, confusion to the mind, chaos to the feelings, ill health to the body, and conflict between people. They say John Lennon died for trying to make people aware of this. And most music these days are tuned to what's called German, now called standard tuning, which is 440 hertz. And you can feel the difference if you come out of a concert played at 440. You feel uneasy, sick. If you come out of a concert tuned at 432, it's uplifting, it's beautiful. You know, and people, uh, if you're a musician, please wake up to this. It's a good book. I remember at a conference I was at in uh, Philadelphia, a Free Your Mind conference, they were selling the book, and that's when I first heard about these things. So, um, it, Well, the know, other it, one that I like to share is that those uh, video games, you know, um, uh, Grand Theft Auto and so on, which are now being played by children, yeah. remember what they want to do is make you horrible and violent and stupid and so on. Um, in Grand Theft Auto, I'm told... You get points for picking up, having sex with, and killing a prostitute. Kids of eight years old, I know, are playing these games. Yeah. You, you know, at that age, you, you don't distinguish between imagination and reality, and it's actually building neurons to do this. These games were developed in order to create soldiers out of teenagers. Right. So they'd be able this, to kill people. These things have a military application. That's what started the MKUltra research in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And when you think that some people are just mindlessly letting their kids watch the shows they're watching and play the games they're playing instead of getting outside, getting the vitamin D in the sunshine, moving their bodies to make them strong, moving their eyes around to increase their brain power, you know, that they're sitting home stuck on these electronic gadgets that change, that, you know, that attack them with EMFs, 
and change their frequencies, there's a problem. Well, you notice that in just any of the, the young generation now, they're sitting on the bus, they're looking at their iPads, and even when they're not looking at them, they're in a tranquilized state. Mm-hmm. They're looking at you, but they don't see you. And this is probably even more insidious because it's everywhere now. Yeah. Yeah, it's the truth. So we're, you know, we're just being, I mean, right. don't tell me Germany didn't win the war. I really think they did. The fascists mm-hmm. won the war. They're just giving it to us an inch at a time now. Well, there's a good book on that, just to plug that for listeners. It's called The Fourth Reich by Jim uh-huh. Mars, M-A-R-R-S. And he shows, in fact, in detail how the entire apparatus of the, the Nazi war machine was transported over to the U.S. at every level, medical, the aerospace industry, NASA, uh, CIA, the State Department policies crafted by, by Nazis, and how they integrated themselves into the whole U.S. Cold War policy. And, in fact, like I mentioned earlier, it's you know the kind of the corporate state where everyone is robots, you know, pioneered by Mussolini and Hitler, that is now the norm. That has taken over. Mm-hmm. So that's Only why we don't see it, because well, the water yeah. has been increased a half a degree at a time. Exactly, and people's minds are in such a state now that they, even if they're looking at it, they don't see it for what it is. Exactly. It's become the water. I wanted to ask you something. Have you ever come across a drug called chlorpromazine? Uh, yeah. Because, you know, when I was working in... Um, as a student in the psych ward at the University of British Columbia, they uh, they were using this drug a lot. Mm-hmm. They called they called it the the nurses used to joke and call it the chemical lobotomizer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting. It was developed by this Dr. Ruth Kyander at Lakehead University in Ontario in the fifties. Mm-hmm. A German doctor came over after the war, probably a paperclip doctor, and it created a state of what she called mental disinterest without loss of consciousness. So in fact. Mm-hmm. People can look at things, but they can't act on them. Their will, their capacity to act and feel anything has been neutralized, and yet they're fully awake and conscious. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, all you have to do is put a bit of that in the water, and you've got, you've got the condition of a lot of people today. Do you think, I mean, do you think it really operates at that level, or what are your thoughts about that kind of thing? Absolutely. I, I used to, when I worked at the hospital in uh, Aurelia, a lot of the folks were on that drug, like the clients. And... Um, you know, it just, it makes you roboticized. It really does. Right. And I can't remember which book it was in. Forgive me who, if the author happens to hear this interview. But they were talking about ways to make, you know, to get us to be good little sheep. Mm-hmm. And ideas have been floated, such as putting drugs or medication in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, so that even the water we drink is designed to keep us in a zoned-out state, like a, you know, so that we never make a wave. Well, another aspect of the, one of the effects of the chlorpromazine, because I did research on it, it has a sterilizing effect in males. So if you want to control the population or depopulate the world into a bunch of cattle, then that's a drug to use. (laughs) Yeah, it's tragic. And so I was reading or listening to something a while ago, that was telling me that all these painkillers that are now so popular, and so a huge percentage of the population is on them, that they, I don't know how true this is, I've heard it once, I have not researched it, Um, but what I heard, and you know, I'd appreciate any feedback on that at uh, Sandra Effect at Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S dot com, is that the effect of these painkilling drugs is to, uh, it decreases our compassion. I mean, it seems to me that we're pretty compassionless anyway, but that's no, you another know, I always, 
Sorry, I always make ahead. it a well. I make it a policy in any of the broadcasts I do. Never do just dwell on the problem, but really focus on what we can do mm-hmm. and um, how, in fact, the human soul is extremely powerful and resilient and God-given. Uh-huh. And so, there's ultimately nothing that can defeat us once we become self-aware. Mm-hmm. And so, I'd like True. to get you, your ideas about what people can do, both on a personal level, community level. How can we start this kind of mental recovery? I think it's a great question, and I'm so happy that we're going to deal with this before the end of the show. The, I always say that therapy well done is a truly political act. So if you become awake, that's a political act. How can you become awake? Start taking care of yourself. Exercise, good food, uh, thinking optimistic thoughts. If you're going to therapy, like do the deepest therapy you possibly can because you never know what's lurking in there. Wake up your therapist to the fact that this stuff is going on. Research on it. Read on it. There are a thousand things that can be done depending on what field you're in. If you're an economist, there are surely better ways to run the economy than the big short that happened in 2008. If you're in food, take a look at how you can help people to have good food. If you're a teacher, watch out for those kids that are gapping out. You know, read about what can be happening to little kids at home so that you can flag that this might, you know, this SRA and ritual abuse might be a possibility or sexual abuse or any kind of abuse in a child. Um, there are a thousand ways, depending on where you are, like what, you're, what skill you bring to the table. But the job number one is to develop your own health and your own sense of energetics to have your face, to wake up to the spiritual reality that's going on, to expand your consciousness so that you see what the possibilities are, both good and bad, to face life with courage. Right. Now, I want uh, if you could repeat your email again, and I assume you're willing to take emails from people who want your advice and help? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's Sandra, S-A-N-D-R-A, fact, F is in Frank, E-C-H, Tia's and Tom at Rogers, R-O-G-E-R-S dot com. And I also have a website if you just Google my name. SandraFact.com, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, when people take these acts, we, we live in a time where when you take what seems to be just a simple act of health, suddenly the state comes down on you more and more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a corporatized society like ours, these are subversive things to talk about health. Uh, to grow your own food, you know, suddenly becomes a crime, this kind of thing. So when people face that persecution, we step out. We need to unite with others. That's mm-hmm. equally healthy. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I have you – go ahead. Uh, go ahead. That? You were going to ask me a question. No, I was going to just ask um, your thoughts on how these techniques can be used to actually activate people to reach out in the community and help each other. Well, your I love your do it, the do-it-yourself movement. Yeah. And – Anywhere I go and do workshops, uh, we develop a little group of people that somehow end up supporting one another. So any group that you can join, you know, whether it's musicians or writers or uh, engineers or whatever, that might get together, you know, dentistry, doctors, in order to truly work for the benefit of society, form those groups. That's what I would say. You know, in my field, I'm working to get counselors and therapists to wake up. Well, I know from my experience, the most active groups are when you're activating three to five people. Uh, Mm -hmm. You get get 
larger into an organization, you have a whole different dynamic of people defer their authority. And this is something maybe next week we can talk about, this whole phenomena whereby people vicariously transfer their authority and thoughts to an authority yeah. figure. Well, we're trained. Right. And we want to get into maybe next week how that happens. You know, mm-hmm. we're trained in, by family, by school, you know, at, in the workplace to do that. How do we reclaim our power from that so we don't live through somebody else? Um, you start say, internally. Yes, I have the sovereignty and authority to act in my own name, you know, common mm-hmm. law. Exactly. And you internally reference, what do I believe? What do I think? And reference yourself first. And then, you know, for those of us that are ethical and really working to make the world a better place, check it out with somebody and say, what do you think? This is what I think, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. so that you're not being misguided. Have you That's had what I would experience? suggest. Self-reference first. Get grounded. Right. Now, we're going to get into that more, and uh, it's kind of a constant theme in the work we do, but um, have you... Um, uh, you know, we've got about five minutes left here, but I wanted to ask you, in recent times, because of the work you're doing, have you faced harassment, persecution, that kind of thing, threats like you did before? I know I have to justify why I do the work I do, and I'm not sure everybody has to justify that. Um, persecution, like, have I been put in jail or anything? No. Have it been suggested that that could happen to me? Yes. Uh, do half the people think that I'm off base and crazy? Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, even some of my dearest relatives, like, tolerate me, and but they think that this is uh, too far out. That's a form of persecution. Um, I'm just patient because I've been through this before, thank God, with sexual abuse. And I think that training ground was just wonderful to prepare me for this. You know, I know I'm right on this. I have five convincers, Kevin, and uh, I know this wasn't part of your question, but I think it's important that people find their own convincers for what's real for them and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And my five convincers are if it's in the Bible, if it's scientifically proven, if another culture also comes up with this, if I've experienced it many times or if some other person in a helping profession has experienced it or if it's part of my own experience, you know, if we've heard it many times from clients, You've got to believe it. You know, you can't think all those people are crazy in the same way. Final question I wanted to say, you know, we're hearing these stories, and I've heard many of them, and talked to the people and seen the evidence of these satanic crimes. Mm-hmm. How is it that a human being could do this to a child, could kill them, could eat them, could torture them? Is it a person without a soul? Is it a clone? Is it like, who are these people? What are they? <laughs> God, I wish I had all the answers for this. Um, Just your take on it. I think there are people who have lost themselves, lost their souls, and they've given over. You know, it's identification with the aggressor. Um, I think, you know, when you've seen the horrors that some of these abuse victims have uh, had and experienced, it kills you. You know, when you've been through a war, when, you know, if you're narcissistic enough or greedy enough or are child-rearing habits and birthing habits in this society are such that it's conducive to that kind of compassionless behavior. You know, if you're greedy and you think, oh, I'm going to become a movie star if I kill this or have sex with that, you know, our values are on their heads. Everything is upside down. We, we are a society basically 
without compassion, without love, without caring for our fellow man. I know there are people out there who are fine people, who are really working for the betterment of society. But there are a lot of people, and especially the ones, you know, the higher you go, the fewer of those good people there are. Well, you know, they, it's I, often, I would have voted for Bernie Saunders if I was American. Well, you know, it's often said that uh, in a corporate structure, you have people individually are very decent, but when they're locked in an institution, they defer their responsibility, their moral responsibility to another, and that's mm-hmm. how they can look the other way. I mean, I encountered that in the church. I encountered this mm-hmm. in every level of society. So um, the problem is a collective evil as well, a corporate evil, and, and I want to talk about that next week with you mm-hmm. as well, looking at, at, at collective evil and how we can change that, too. And any final words, Sandra, before we let you go for today? I think that uh, you have to believe that light is stronger than darkness. You've got to believe that you have courage and you've got enough to do what it takes on a personal level to really reclaim your sovereignty over yourself and your strength. And as individuals, we can each do it. And as a collective, we can really do it. So I just give a lot of hope. Thank it's you, all Sandra. a testing ground. Pass Thank you, pass. Sandra. Thank you for your courage and your work, uh, sister, and we'll have you back on next week if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's great, and thank you for your courage and your work, Kevin. God bless. And you. Bye-bye. Sandra Fecht with us again next week, uh, a pioneering counselor. And just a final reminder to folks, uh, you can read the details of some of what she's saying, but also related crimes, murder by decree, Dot com, the Crime of Genocide in Canada. Write to us, Republic of Kanata, K-A-N-A-T-A, Republic of Kanata at gmail.com. And a reminder, this next Sunday before the show, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, if you're in Ottawa or Toronto, go to our actions at these child killing and child trafficking churches. 9 a.m. in Ottawa at Minto Park, 9 a.m. in Toronto at St. Paul's Anglican Church, 227 Bloor Street East. Until next week, take in what you've heard today, and think of how you can act on this in your local community. We're going to be focusing on how to equip you and empower you to do so in the weeks ahead. Until next week, brothers and sisters, keep the faith, stay strong, stay clear. This is Kevin Annett. We'll be back. Bye for now. 